This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, is this thing on? Hello? Hit it again. I think it's on now. <clears throat> Welcome to Fantastic Fridays with Doc, the episode that focuses on you, the fans of Hiker Trash Radio. Doc and his guest co-host are going to dive into fan-generated questions and content that you've shared with us. So lace up those hiking boots, grab your cold soak jar, and settle into your 20-mile pace as we fire up the podcast from somewhere deep in the backcountry. It's time to embrace the suck. All right, Hiker Trash, welcome back to another edition of Fantastic Friday, the episode that is driven by you, the fans. It is my pleasure to introduce our co-host for this Fantastic Friday, LP, Little Buddha, Kitakaisi, a triple, triple crowner with more than 55,000 trail miles under his feet and one of Outside's 2021 Outsiders of the Year. Welcome back to the podcast, LP. How you doing? Hey, Doc, I'm doing Excellent. How are you, buddy? 
Fantastic. I'm really excited to talk about today's topic. And the topic this week comes to us from all the way from Belgium. From I hope I, I'm pronouncing this correctly. It's De Plussendag, which I believe is German for Vertical Tuesday. It seems to be a running club in Belgium. And they asked us to talk about mistakes that we've made out there on the trail and what we have learned from those mistakes. Mm. Oh, mistakes. I've made a few. I think that's a quote from a Queen song, right? Bohemian Rhapsody, maybe? You're absolutely right. There you go. <laughs> Men of a certain age. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Now, as we talk today, your episode just released, your full episode with Hecker Trash Radio. Did oh, you have a chance right. to listen to it? I have listened to it, and you made me sound a lot better than I generally sound. Thank you. Well, I'll take the compliment, but you were very easy to work with, and I, I had a, a good guest going in. So you were awesome. Thank you. And we also have an episode planned coming up where you're also going to co-host, and this is going to be all about the Eastern Continental Trail and the brave band of hikers who took it on this past year. Yeah, that's going to be really exciting. So we're going to put together kind of a, a group podcast with all of the class, the ECT class of 2023. It was a pretty record-breaking year. There were five to six finishers, which is great, that hiked either from Key West up to Newfoundland or Newfoundland back down to Key West. And so I'm really looking forward to talking with some of those hikers because I've never met them. So I'm really fascinated to hear about their experiences and why the heck they decided to hike to Newfoundland. That's a good question. And we also might have a celebrity hiking guest join us for a portion of that interview. So we're not going to reveal who that might be. You have to tune in and find out what's going on there. Yeah, very exciting. And you currently are working on a pretty big hiking project, which is taking you from Key West all the way to Morocco. What is, what is that all about? Yeah, so I'm um, on, a, on a trail or a track, a traverse. Um, I'm calling it the Pangea Traverse. And it's just a casual little walk of 18,000 plus miles, give or take. <laughs> it's a three to four year hike. Um, and last year I, I kicked off the first leg, which was the Eastern Continental Trail. And I hiked from Key West up to Newfoundland. That's the first leg. It's about 5,700, 6,000 miles. And it's going to take me across the length of what were the central Pangean mountains when the continents were all in this huge Pangea continent. I'm essentially just retracing those mountains. And yeah, that's I'm in the middle of doing that, taking a little bit of a break, letting the northern part Greenland and Iceland and the Faroe Islands let that area get a little bit better for hiking and camping. I'll be heading out there shortly in a couple of months. All right. Good luck on the continuation of that traverse. That is a big task. We wish you the very best in it. Thank you, sir. All right. Let's get back to today's topic for Fantastic Friday, mistakes. And yes, you beat me to the punch already. I was going to quote Bohemian Rhapsody, and that's how I knew where that line came from. Yes, I've made a few as well. But speaking from firsthand experience, are there some mistakes you can share with us and maybe what some of the takeaways were from those mistakes? Yeah, so I actually uh, sat down and really thought about this before this podcast, because as you alluded to, I, I've done a lot of backpacking and I have quite a bit of miles under my, under my feet. And so all of the mistakes I made that were really catastrophic were early on. 
20 plus years. But that doesn't mean that I still don't make mistakes. I feel like I learn something on every through hike, whether that's a new piece of gear that one of these young hikers has that I've never heard of, or just like a silly mistake of under resupply and being off by a day or two. People with a lot of experience can still make those mistakes, and it's actually very common. But on my very first through hike, and I think we spoke about this in my podcast episode, I can't recall if I shared with you that I had picked up a book. So, so the first through hike I did was the John Muir Trail. And I read Ray Jardine's book, How to Hike the Pacific Crest Trail, right? The PCT guide. And in there, he had all these techniques and stuff like that. And one of them was wearing, walking, or running shoes. While I was 19, I, I didn't have walking shoes or running shoes. I just had tennis shoes. And so I showed up into Yosemite Valley after hitchhiking from Colorado. And uh, this was in 1995. And I had tennis shoes on because I'm a tennis player as well. I, I hike and I backpack. But my first love is really tennis. And so I was like, ah, oh, tennis shoes. These are pretty comparable to walking and running shoes. Guess what? They're not. And I quickly learned. So the JMT starts in Yosemite Valley. And then you hike up to Tuolumne Meadows. And then you eventually get to a town called Mammoth Lakes. And I was, by this time, I had uh, connected with a couple of other JMT and PCT hikers. And they were like, yeah, those blisters, that's, you're getting it from the shoes. I didn't really know then that my feet were going to swell. Even on a shorter hike like the JMT, they do swell. And so when I was in Mammoth Lakes, I had to switch those out. And I had I think a pair of Reebok tennis shoes that I started off with and I uh, picked up some Nike running shoes or something like that. It was one of those brands, um, generic brands. It might have actually been uh, Reebok running shoes. But yeah, that, that was a big learning thing. So footwear is very important, as we all know. And since then, I've been able to figure that all out, that A, tennis shoes aren't the best. Nike or Reebok runners probably aren't the best either. But I did settle on, and I don't know if they're a sponsor of your podcast, but I have been wearing Brooks Adrenalines for the last 23 plus years and have not deviated very much from those. Fantastic. Excellent point. Yeah, footwear is so important out there. If the feet aren't happy, the hiker isn't happy, right? It'd be a miserable trip if your feet are all fouled up because you made the wrong choice in footwear. And I think there's the opposite end of the spectrum as well. You had the tennis shoes on. The opposite end of the spectrum might be some heavy hiking boots that are maybe you're not in a mountaineering experience. You're not in the snow and the cold and you choose hiking boots because they've got the word hiking in it and you haven't hiked before and you get out there. And I know that I've made that mistake. I've had uh, yeah. hiking boots and the first couple of trips were not a whole lot of fun until I discovered, oh my gosh, I need to go with some trail runners. And yeah. So that, that is a, a huge choice. And how how much break-in should you do with your shoes before you get out there on the trail and find yourself you know, stuck in a position where you, you can't easily change out? Sure. So the moral story of that little story that I just talked about and how I've worn these shoes for so long, the first thing I did was I went to a running store and had my arch and predation all measured. So I knew exactly what was going to work for me. But really, when you find that shoe that works for you, and hopefully they don't discontinue it like the next season or the next year, thankfully Brooks is not. And um, once you find a shoe that works for you, don't change it. 
if it's working for you, you know, keep it. And I think that's why I have a lot of, you know, beyond just like shoes, I have a lot of gear that I've just used since the late nineties because it still works. And that might not be the lightest thing. It might not be the newest thing, but it's, it works. Right. And so specific to shoes and breaking them in, everyone's foot is different. And so that's why it's really important to go into a high quality running or outdoor store that understands foot care and specifically pronation and how your arch is measured. And they will put you in the correct shoe for you. And if you're able to do that, there's still the basic get a half size longer, a half size wider, right? Because your feet are going to swell. Typically, I don't really break my running shoes in and I wear regular running shoes. I don't have any trail shoes. They're just straight street shoes. And I never break them in and they're great. But again, everyone's body's different. Everyone's foot's different. And so it's hard to make that kind of recommendation. Yeah, I, I have found the same thing to be true with the, the shoes that I'm now wearing out there. I'm wearing some Hoka Speed Goats, and I've been through a few pairs of those, and the break-in period uh, really doesn't exist. You put them on, and you're good to go, it seems like for yeah. me. All right. Hey, uh, Lil Buddha, have you made any other mistakes out there other than footwear? Nope, that's the only one. <laughs> All right. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Fantastic Friday. No. Nice <laughs> talking with you, Doc. <laughs> like I said, man, earlier, I would need more than 30 minutes to talk about mistakes. And I think this is a question that a lot of people that don't backpack or, or aren't out in the woods a lot. They're always worried about animals. And I've made a lot of, I've underestimated, I'll say that the thuggery of wildlife, <laughs> like how thuggish animals can be. And I have a, a pretty silly story from the Colorado Trail many years ago. You're familiar with those little marmal, or, or marmots, they're called pikas. They, yes. Yeah, they're like cute. Like if, you, if you've never been to Colorado or if you've never seen a pika, it's, it's like a cute little hamster, right? And they're really small. They, they aren't very big. And so here I am hiking. I probably did the 20 high 20s that day, a couple of passes. And I was on this particular stretch of the Colorado Trail and very limited in terms of camping. And while you're hiking, pikas make this very distinct noise, this really high pitch, like beep. And they're alerting everyone like, oh, predator, right? Predator, be alert, be aware. And so they, they were like barking at me for a couple of hours until I found this tent site. And I've done quite a bit of hiking in Colorado and had never had this happen. But in the middle of the night, at that time, I was sleeping with a big Agnes tent. So I had this, you know, that night, I don't, I don't even think I used, I must not have even used my rain flight because it, it was a beautiful night. But I had all my gear, most of my gear inside my tent because I just prefer it that way. Your shoes, and I have camp shoes, like really ultralight flip-flops, and maybe like a handkerchief. I was hanging out on like a branch or something that, that was really near my tent, and like my dirty socks and stuff like that. Stuff that animals aren't going to be really interested in, and especially animals like pikas. Throughout the night, I kept hearing all this scuttling around my tent area, and I was just like, oh, God, they're just like rummaging for food. All my food is in my tank. Whoops. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, safely under my head because it's a pillow. So I wasn't really worried about my food or anything like that. But I could hear them all around my tin area. And long story short, it was a long night. They kept me up. But I wake up in the morning and I look out 
and my shoes are gone. My shoes are gone. One of my socks is gone. Both of my camp shoes, my flip-flops are gone. The handkerchief that was on the tree is gone. My shirt is gone. And also my tights that I hike in, they were gone as well. Thankfully, I wasn't sleeping completely nude that night and I had my, <laughs> my shorts on. So you would think like, how could those little marmots or, or those little pikas, it had to have been the pikas, right? Because I could hear them. And so I get up and I'm like looking around and like this, there's this big boulder field. And I look over and I'm like, shoot, shoot, there's my shirt. They had gotten it halfway down their burrow, but only part of the shirt. So some of the shirt was sitting out. So thankfully I didn't have to go shirtless. That wouldn't have been so bad. Both of my shoes, I had to go searching within... 15 feet in every direction. I was thankfully, again, my shoes were big enough that they didn't fit into the burrows, like the holes. So I was able to get both of my shoes, but they stole my camp shoes, my socks, uh, <laughs> my handkerchief, all this stuff. And, and the thing that was really humiliating was that, like, as I'm packing up, they're still barking at me like that. Beep, beep, beep. And it was so infuriating. Like they were making fun of me. I had literally just been mugged by these little rodents. And so I guess the point of that story is, yeah, don't underestimate wildlife. It doesn't matter how big or small they are. If they want to mess you up out there, they definitely can. And just imagine if they had gotten a hold of both of my shoes and were able to get those down one of their holes. I would have had to hike barefoot. And I was up in the middle of the collegiate mountains. There was no way. It would have been wild. <laughs> so, you so that's were mugged. You were mugged, harassed, and mocked by the wildlife out there. And you almost had to come up with a duct tape shoe. You just had to duct tape your foot and, and, and walk around out there. That is, that's wild. It is very wild. And when I have been back onto the Colorado Trail since then, and I am very aware of my surroundings when I camp, and I make sure that my things can't be scuttled off in the middle of the night. So animals never underestimate the thuggery of animals, especially if they're small and cute. That's when you have to work. Yes, absolutely. Now, one time at Hamilton Lakes, we put our, our uh, clothes out to dry. They're all sweaty. We'd gone for a swim and we'd put them out to dry and went to sleep that night and fell victim to the salt licking deer that are <laughs> in Hamilton, by the Hamilton Lakes uh, area in the Sierras and had to hike with kind of a deer saliva uh, torn through shirts the next day. That was a lot of fun. Oh, wow, Doc. On the AT, I saw a deer, Bambi, run off with a backpacker's actual backpack. They didn't get very far, but could you imagine if it was strong enough to run up? They want that soul. They definitely they want that. So, yeah, that's another thing. Those deer, they're cute also, but they can mess you up, man. They can ruin your hike. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, you mentioned camping with your food in your tent under your head as a nice pillow. Any concern about bears in the area? I've got a great bear story for us. Man, I know that <laughs> I have I've been fortunate enough to not have that experience where a bear wanted to get into my tent. I would not advocate for anyone to do what I do, but the reality is a lot of thru-hikers do this. Like most of the thru-hikers I know actually sleep with their food as a pillow. And yes, you can, you, things can definitely happen. But again, knock on wood, I've done quite a bit of backpacking. It's never happened. But I think one of the reasons as well 
is when I am camping, uh, when I'm hiking a long trail that is out in the West, that's not AT, right? I generally pick spots that aren't frequented by other hikers. The smells haven't accumulated. And some of those, if you're very careful about picking that, your sites, and making sure that you, you practice LMT principles and make sure that you don't destroy that area, it's actually generally, you don't have as many rodent problems. You don't have a lot of problems with pikas coming and stealing your things. And hopefully you don't have bears coming into your tent at night and trying to get your food. I've gotten lucky and I've been lucky. Hopefully the luck continues. Now, I had a guest on who had a bear encounter while he was inside of his tent. It was during the day, daytime hours, actually. And so his the tent flap was open. He's in his tent, hears something outside, and he realizes it's a bear. And the bear is, wow. is sniffing around. And he's got his food in the tent. And so he, re- he has bear spray. He reaches for his bear spray. And he tries to shoot the bear with the bear spray from <laughs> inside the tent. And the wind catches the tent flap at exactly yeah. the wrong moment. The spray hits the flap instead of going out of the tent, and he basically covers himself with the bear spray, which I guess is a a tactic. If you don't want to spray the bear, I guess you could spray yourself and make yourself uh, unappetizing to the bear. Hopefully, it sounds like he got away, right? He lived to tell the tale. That's right. There you go. There you go. Now, I I really want to quickly say, in grizzly bear country, I always hang my food. I don't mess around with grizzly bears or polar bears. Good choice. Good choice. We are stoked to partner with Garage Grown Gear on this episode of Hiker Trash Radio. Garage Grown Gear, or GGG for short, is your online store for all things ultralight backpacking. Dedicated to supporting the growth of small and cottage brands, they've got everything you need all in one place. From ultralight accessories to dehydrated meals to your big three, Garage Grown Gear has everything you need to lighten your load. Based out of St. Paul, Minnesota, GGG is known for its commitment to providing quality ultralight gear, stellar customer service, and free shipping and returns over Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Hey there, hikers. Ever conquered a peak only to find your feet a battlefield of blisters and hotspots? It's enough to make you want to pack it in and head home. But what if there was a way to hike harder, longer, and with more comfort? Introducing Creepers Merino Toe Socks. Made with ultra soft merino wool and seamless construction, these socks are designed to minimize blisters and hotspots, even on the most demanding trails. Imagine this, you're miles into your hike, the sun is shining, and your feet feel light and airy. You're not worried about blisters or hotspots, just the beauty of the wilderness surrounding you. That's the power of Creeper Socks. Don't let blisters hold you back from your next adventure. Get your hands on a pair of Creeper's Merino Toe Socks today and experience the difference. Visit the website by following the link in the show notes to get 10% off your order. 
make sure to use the discount code HTRADIO to let them know Doc sent you. Hey there, Hacker Trash. Have you been on the trail for too long, battling the elements and just focusing on surviving? Well, it's time to take a break from all that ruggedness and talk about something that may not be on your radar, personal grooming. Now, I know what you're thinking. Doc, why should I care about grooming out here in the wild? And I hear you, my trail-worn friend, but let me tell you, there are some serious benefits to keeping your personal jungle in check. Enter Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0, the ultimate grooming tool for the modern hiker. This bad boy is designed with the rugged adventurer in mind. It features skin-safe technology, so you can tame the wilderness without any fear of nicks or cuts. With its precision-engineered blades, the lawnmower effortlessly trims and shapes your hair with ease. No more tangled or unruly bushes down there, hiker trash. You'll feel fresh and comfortable even after those long days on the trail. And let's not forget about the hygiene aspect. Keeping your nether regions clean and groomed can help prevent unwanted odors and irritation. It's like a breath of fresh mountain air for your most sensitive areas. So my trail warriors, don't neglect your personal grooming even when you're out there conquering the wild. Embrace Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 and experience the benefits of a well-groomed jungle. Your hiking buddies and your nether regions will thank you. Get 20% off all Manscaped products plus free shipping with promo code HikerTrashRadio at Manscaped.com. Tell them Doc sent you. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Through hiker owned Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. All right. Hey, how about one more mistake? This might be a little, I guess, esoteric, but it's something that early on when I was hiking a lot, I, I would always worry about. So growing up, I would backpack with my family and we, it wasn't like through hiking. We would carry all this heavy gear and hike seven to 10 miles and set up camp. But we knew where we were going to camp for the night. And early on in my through hikes, I was always stressing out about like where I was going to sleep. Like I would stress out like about three o'clock doesn't matter. Even if I could see on the map that there was a spot that I could camp at, if I had not already visited that site, I would always worry that, hey, would my tent fit there? Is it going to be exposed? Is there actually going to be a campsite? And those are on established trails, right? Like the PCT and CDT. But like on trails like the ECT, when I first hiked, you're on roads, you're on country roads. And so a lot of times you are camping like right off on the side of the road, on private property behind a barn or or a fence or something. But I would always worry about like, where am I going to camp tonight? That would stress me out. And very quickly, I learned that there's a saying that the universe will provide. And you've probably heard people say the trail will provide. And I absolutely believe that because in the hundreds of nights I've slept outside, I've never not once had an issue finding a spot to sleep. And I think that's just such a good life lesson as well, to just let things go and let the universe provide, the trail provide, whatever. Because I feel as thru-hikers, we carry so much already on our back. Maybe there's something we're going through mentally and dealing with stuff. And having to worry about a very basic thing, like where you're going to sleep at night, shouldn't be a priority that stresses you out. 
So I, I don't know if that's a mistake I made early on, but I do remember being very stressed out quite a bit as a novice hiker and not knowing where I was going to camp. I think that's a very good point. You have to be flexible out there because you, you can never be sure what you're going to encounter. You have to be a problem solver. And so if you overplan, I think there is such a thing as overplanning for a through. I know a lot of people take great pleasure in mapping out the details of what their adventure is going to be like, where they're going to, where they're going to sleep, where they're going to camp, how many miles per day. And it is so typical on a through hike that gets thrown off day one. You're going to run into something that throws you off your schedule, throws you off your game. And then what are you going to do? You have to adapt and you can't, you have to be flexible. Yeah. So that is something. And you're right. I think the overarching lesson there is being flexible, right? And the trail will provide, it might not be exactly what you want, but it will provide sufficient enough for you to survive the night. And that is definitely one lesson I've learned. Yes. Now I I made a mistake I want to share about trying to go too light. Is there such thing as being too light based on your particular hike that you're doing? I did a, I wouldn't say it was a winter hike, but it was a late fall hike in the Sierras. And I was at that time concerned about weight and I was trying to dial it in. And I actually found myself being ill-equipped for the elements in which I was hiking. I didn't have enough layers I had a bivy and a tarp instead of instead of a tent. I didn't. Ha- I, I woke up in the middle of the night, maybe two a.m., and I had all of my clothes on. Everything that I had brought, I was wearing, and I was I couldn't sleep. I was it was too cold, and uh, it was just a miserable experience. And so I think weight is a a thing to to consider out there, but you don't want to be so light that you can't enjoy the experience. Exactly. Yeah. There. There is stupid light that that is a category (laughs) and i've met some of those people as well and i'm a my gear is pretty i I think last time when we spoke i don't know what my base weight is i really don't but i'm pretty sure like i'm around 10 11 pounds base weight which i think is light but i have met some pretty ultra light hikers out there that have gotten into trouble and it's everyone's different you are absolutely right you've got to have enough gear for the particular area that you're planning to hike in, or you've got to be really nice and meet lots of nice people that might help you. I don't know. Absolutely. All right. One last mistake. Anything else you want to share with our listeners from your experience? I think beyond that, it was just, I I think early on too, I think one of the things that I just, I didn't eat enough food. I just didn't really understand how to properly fuel my body, especially when I was younger. One of the quickest ways to end your hike is not getting enough nutrients and literally wasting out there. We're operating at a a a caloric deficiency, doing all these miles, and you literally can't eat the amount of calories that you need to replenish what you're losing. And I think early on, I would just eat a lot of junk food and not really pay attention to calories and stuff like that. And I get like sugar highs and my head would hurt. And you diversify, you learn to diversify your diet. You learn to replace good carbs with bad carbs. You look at the caloric, how many calories are like in a meal and you you plan accordingly. And again, I remember the jump from the John Muir Trail because that was the first hike I ever did. And a few years later, I did the PCT. And within 500 miles, I was in trouble because I had probably lost like 25 pounds. And I'm only 5'4". I'm not a tall person. 
I'm pretty stocky, but I, I'm not, I don't have 25 pounds to lose. And back then I was like, I think 130. So it was not good. And I just remember getting off and I, I, I got off at, what is that lake up there? I can't remember the name of that lake right before the Sierras, but I got off and I just ate for three days to replenish. And and I was like, oh, I can't mess around anymore. I need to really sure carry a lot more food. So calories, that's another thing that you got to figure out. And it's a lot of it's just trial and error. You just got to get out there and figure it out. You can read and you can try to prepare, but until you're actually in the, the situation where your body is actually reaction reacting to your physical state, you really don't know. Okay. And since we're talking about food, cold soaking, <laughs> mistake or no mistake? Oh, in terms of my general impression of cold soaking or have yes. I done it? It's your general impression. Disgusting. <laughs> it, that, that's, <laughs> cold soaking needs to die. I don't understand. Look, I have done stoveless, which I guess is cold soaking. And I have eaten like raw ramen out of desperation. I'm in, in the group that thinks a hot, warm meal at the end of the night is satisfying. And I'm also an old person. I can't have cold peanut butter ramen bomb thing. That's not going to work for me. I need a meal, a warm meal, preferably. There you go. It's settled. Cold soaking is a mistake. Don't make that mistake out there. All right. Hey, little Buddha, that was a lot of fun. I want to thank you for co-hosting this special episode, and I want to thank you for being part of Fantastic Fridays. And also thank you to Vertical Tuesday Running Club for sending us the topic for this week's episode. I want to thank everyone for tuning in and learning some about some of the mistakes we've made out there. And always remember, the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you've underestimated the thuggery of the wildlife out there. You're wearing tennis shoes and you're stupid light. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. Thank you.